This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, hi, hello, Hardwood Knox people. I am Dan Pavelli coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, cannot believe there's a referee conspiracy against the Utah Jazz co-host, Andrew. I can't believe it. You would think I can believe that. Maybe you're just spearheading the conspiracy theories. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Sorry to derail your intro. Keep going. Oh, always derail the intro. He is Andy Bailey. I am Dan Favalli. Our usual housekeeping notes, plus one extra one before we get started today with, we have a trade to talk about, a blockbuster big trade. We don't. I'm just kidding. Along with some other stuff before we get to a mailbag. But first and foremost, please continue rating, reviewing, subscribing to us on iTunes. Our rating was nuked by unhappy Kyle Kuzma enthusiasts, I will say. Uh, We went from a 4.9 to a 4.5. You have helped us get back up to a 4.7. We are asking, though, that you continue to have those ratings and reviews, and they can be constructive criticism as well, just thrown in there uh, to continue to help the pod. You can also rate, review, subscribe, wherever else you're getting your podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all that good stuff. If you're a superhero, you can do that, and then also go on to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe there because that's one of the best ways to help us get noticed. Please follow our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. We're posting every single podcast there, and then occasionally some other just weird edits I make for Twitter will go up there as well. Follow the show on Twitter, at Hardwood Knox. Follow Andy on Twitter, at Andrew D. Bailey. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. And as ever, follow the Blue Wire Podcast Network on Twitter to check out some of the other great podcasts it has. In addition, do whatever commentary I and only me basically am providing on that account, at Blue Wire Pods. You do me a big favor by following that account, so uh, I appreciate everyone who has done that. We have one extra housekeeping note, though. Actually, two. Shout out Untuck It, the sponsor for Hardware Knox this week. We love all our sponsors, and we really appreciate Untuck It for bringing you this episode of Hardware Knox. You will be hearing from them shortly with a great promo code. And our extra, extra housekeeping note, we are considering doing a premium feed, which would essentially be a daily mailbag, maybe four times a week. Uh, It wouldn't cut into the podcast volume that we do regularly. There would still be one to two episodes per week publicly, perhaps one where Andy and I are together, and then there'd be one with with a guest. In addition to those daily mailbags, we are just throwing it out there because we want to see if people would be interested in that. There will be a public test run in the coming weeks uh, soon, so you can also wait until we do that. We just want to make sure that people wouldn't be opposed to it, but We love these mailbags, and I think it's important to let listenership direct conversation. You don't want to do it all the time because there's a ton to get to, but if we were to set up a a premium subscription feed, we just want to know how many people would would be interested in it. And again, we would be committed to answering all of your questions, especially if you were subscribed to said premium feed. Just wanted to throw it out there to the universe, get some feedback on on what you guys might think about that. They'd be shorter episodes, but they'd be ad-free. They'd be long-winded intro-free like this one as well, and just something Andy and I have been throwing around that we both thought was a good idea. Three minutes and 30 seconds later, Andy, how are you doing? That was a long intro. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm not bothered by the long intro. I'm sure the listeners won't be either. Uh, They're just going to be waiting on uh, bated breath for this mailbag. No one's doing that. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. And so you get so many responses for mailbags anyway. Uh, We could obviously create a hashtag that could then be like rolling submissions, but you get so many responses every time we do a mailbag, we can never get to all of them that it seems like it might be a good idea. Yeah, and I I do kind of feel bad um, when we get a nice response to the mailbag tweet and I don't 
respond to all of them. I used to have time to like, we'd answer the questions that we had time for on the podcast. And then I'd go back and answer the rest of them on Twitter. Um, that was when I was in law school and just killing time every single day of my life. That, that doesn't that really happen. still anymore. makes zero sense to me, but carry <laughs> on. Well, law school is not, uh, it's not as hard as people make out, make it out to be. If you survive that first year, you're fine. Um, but anyway, yeah, I like the idea too. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, have that level of interaction with all of our listeners. Shout out to us for liking our own idea. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Ever see an untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. First topic I wanted to talk to you about, the Timberwolves-Atlanta Hawks trade. Uh, the Hawks traded Alan Crabb to the Timberwolves for Travion Graham and Jeff Teague, bringing him back home to Atlanta. I uh, Just as the sort of the vitals for this trade, what Minnesota accomplishes here is they gain a roster spot, uh, which could prove huge at the trade deadline. They save about $2.1 million in salary. To me, that doesn't really matter so much because they were pretty far beneath the cap to begin with, and now I think they're close to $10 million or a little bit over $10 million, um, but, but uh, below the cap, excuse me. I, I just want to know your impressions of this trade. It seems like a no-brainer for the Hawks to me, uh, but I'm just wondering for you what, what you think about it for Minnesota specifically. Yeah, it does feel like a no-brainer for the Hawks. Um, it wasn't real hard to wrap my head around that side of the trade. My first thought when I saw the uh, tweet from Wojnarowski was, what what does this mean for Minnesota going forward? It's I don't think, and I don't think many people could have could have seen that interpreted as, okay, they got their guy in Alan Crabb. This this to me just sort of forecasts a, another move. And sure enough, it was uh, just a couple hours later maybe that Shams and John Krasinski from The Athletic said that Minnesota had ramped up its efforts to get D'Angelo Russell. Um, I don't know if I – don't, I don't know what that deal looks like. I don't know how um, – the Warriors are going to have any interest in Andrew Wiggins. Maybe Crab is the salary that's sent over, but I don't think I don't think the Warriors are going to deal D'Angelo Russell in just a salary dump. Um, and the other thing they can't do, they could do them as separate trades, but Alan Crab can't be aggregated. That's in a what trade. I was just going to say that he can still be traded, but he can't be traded in combination with other players um, before the trade deadline for sure. So it, it was kind of a weird deal. For Minnesota, I get why they did it. I mean, Jeff Teague is is clearly not a part of their future anyway. And but what the guy they got back isn't either. So all I thought was, this means something else is potentially brewing. That's where I am with you. And the I, I look, they need shooting. The Timberwolves are shooting under thirty three percent from three on the season, second to last in the league. Even though they're getting up a ton of them, so maybe they're looking at it as he should help that. Not shooting well from three this year, but he's been efficient from there for his career, isn't really afraid to chuck them up. That's about all he can really do for you on offense. And I say that as someone who was driving the Alan Crabb bandwagon in 2016. So uh, definitely admitting to to my mistaken interpretation there. And then you don't need his bird rights because he's not going to get as much money as he was. But now that you have them, at least you could, if he fits, re-sign him without having to dip into your mid-level exception and maybe they saw something in that but to me it does speak to there needs to be another move and if there isn't I would be extremely curious then as to why they made this 
uh, for the Hawks that this was a no-brainer, though. Sub-91 yeah. offensive rating without Trey. Um, Travion Grant's been one of those interesting players, sort of like the, the David Nwaba type where he's a really good um, positional defender and can defend up for his size. But you've always been like, if he could just hit a little bit more of his threes, he'd be he'd be super good. So I like that flyer. And you brought up interesting stuff with the D'Lo trade. I don't know. I don't doubt that Minnesota's interested. This trade doesn't help them make that deal no. at all because it's, you know, Gorgie Jang and Robert Covington has been the parameters that are floated out there. That doesn't interest me if I'm Golden State. If they were going to accept that framework, I would rather have Teague and Covington, and obviously that does not work straight up. There needs to be more money and stuff moved around there. But that would have just because Teague's an expiring contract. I wouldn't necessarily want yeah, James money yeah. for next season. And if I'm Golden State, Delo's trade value has been, you know, people think he's overrated. Some people think he's underrated. I do think that there's a premium pr- placed on from scratch shot creation. So even if you think Covington's a better all around player or just a more valuable player, um, the Warriors, I just wouldn't settle for a deal centered around. Robert Covington without other stuff like there would have to be Culver and a pick in there for me as well and I don't think the Timberwolves should should go that route either no I I agree with you um the the interest in D'Angelo Russell may be um not connected to the to the crab trade at all um it just does seem like they're not done yet so that's where we stand on that. And I don't, if we, if I had to predict it, I don't think D'Lo will be traded this season by the Warriors. I don't either. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he was moved, but it, I think, I think we've reached a point where they want to just sort of sit that out. Yeah. They probably want to see what he could at least play like with an extended time with Steph since Clay won't yeah. play this year. And then over the summer, just when you know, after the lottery, they'll know where their pick falls. And I would think it affords them more optionality where, one, maybe more teams other than Minnesota are interested in him in general. And two, you wait to see if there's a disgruntled star or just someone unforeseen on the trade market that is worth not only giving up D'Lo, but D'Lo and that pick and, and maybe other stuff. So I think you wait to have that optionality. Um, has there been any update on when Stephen Curry is going to come back? I, think I haven't I, heard anything. I think last time I saw it was March. But maybe maybe oh, I'm wow. making that up. So. I He's think you sit the rest of the year. I would say that, but then it's like, do you move D'Lo short of another star then over the summer? Because you have basically no sample for how him yeah. and Stephen yeah. work. So he's going to be reevaluated in February. That's the last update for Sham Sharania. Maybe they've pinpointed March for exactly that reason. Let's just let's just have them play like ten games together, just so we can see what it looks like a little bit. And then it's late enough so that you don't ruin the tank in any yeah. way. On to the next thing that I want to talk to you about before we get to the mailbag. Kyrie Irving's comments after – who did the Nets lose to that game? I can't even remember. I think it was the uh, – no, it wasn't the Jazz. It was the next game, wasn't it? Um, I don't know why I'm blanking on this. but he, I'm blanking on it too. He essentially said that the Nets need more pieces. He named a bunch of players on the roster that need to be complimented. He noticeably left off Jared Allen and Joe Harris, two of the Nets' most important players. It was after a yeah. loss to the Sixers, by the way, who did not there have – There you go. It was the national TV game. Um, I look and so someone pointed out to me on Twitter when this happened that Kyrie Irving also said that his teammates elevated him that night because he was six of 21 from the floor and kind of played like ass in that fourth quarter. Um, I also understand, and I've actually defended Kyrie to the extent that I think it's wildly uncomfortable how much access we have to some of the anecdotes that are behind the scenes about mood swings or what he's doing on team trips. So I'm not trying to just shit all over Kyrie. I also understand when you're in the moment and stream of conscious thoughts that, hey, maybe you innocently left off Jared Allen and and Joe Harris and Torian Prince from that list. I get it. That is not something you should be saying, period, along those lines, even if you're right. When you're only three games back after missing 26 games, mind you, that's just not something you should be in a position to stay. And as a star, as a presumed leader on that team, you need to be aware enough to realize that. And I think that's the problem here more than anything. It's not that he left off some names because that could have been a mistake. And if it wasn't, well, then yes, that's a problem. It's you missed 26 games. Kevin Durant's not playing this year. And then you came out and basically said, this team has glaring holes. That's, that's fucking dumb. Like, that's just, that's bad form. That's bad leadership. And I... Again, I know in the moment, I know that there could be mistakes made to be said. That is just something you should be able to be aware, even stream of conscious, that you shouldn't say. Yeah, that seems like an obvious one to avoid. 
especially given how the last year went for Kyrie Irving. Um, right. And maybe, maybe he came out of Boston not thinking that he handled anything wrong there. Um, well, he admitted that he handled stuff wrong when he came oh, to the yeah. next. <laughs> Good point. Um, maybe, maybe he admitted that and didn't really think it. I don't know. Um, it, it sure seems like his actions say the opposite of, I, I know I messed up in Boston because he's, it's just the same thing on repeat now. Um, I don't, the, the Kyrie Irving school of leadership is, is just something that's been fascinating, but certainly not something that I've subscribed to for the last couple of years. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how all these pieces fit together next year when they're, when they're on the floor together. I think they're going to be potentially phenomenal on the basketball court. Um, although I do think people are a little bit hasty to, to, think that Kevin Durant is just going to be exactly what he was uh, before the injury. Um, even if he's like 85, 90% of what Kevin Durant was before the injury, that's potentially a monster of a team. But both of those guys have, uh, I'll say, interesting personalities. And I think there's the potential for some clashes. Um, you know, there were certainly some clashes of personality between LeBron and Kyrie Irving. Uh, there were clashes of personality between Kyrie Irving and a bunch of people. There were clashes with Kevin Durant and former teammates. Um, so they're they're just going to be really fascinating to watch <laughs> over the rest of their time together. Um, and this is maybe just a forecast or a, or a preview of what we're going to see for the life of this team. If you had to guess, is Kevin Durant a top 10 player when he comes back from his Achilles injury? Um, Boy... That's a good question. Let me... Uh... I think I would say yes. And it's not that I expect him to be the same guy immediately upon return. I just think that because he's such a great shooter and can literally get looks off over anybody, you yeah. could put him in the Kevin Love role that he played with the Cavaliers. And that's still a top 10 NBA player because he might, he might end up shooting like a ridiculous percentage from three. Yeah, what I was going to say is I've, I, you know, I don't know who originated this take, but I've seen it in quite a few places. But people say, look how good Dirk Nowitzki was as, you know, basically immobile for the last several years of his career. And that's Kevin Durant's not going to be that. Um, what's the word? <laughs> He's not going to be that immobile, that slow. Uh, but he he will certainly be slowed down, I think. Um but if you've got if you've got some middle ground between old Kevin Durant and Dirk Nowitzki, I mean that's obviously a, a phenomenal player. I'm looking at a list of the top guys in wins over replacement player this season to see if we can um, identify ten who will definitely be better than Durant next season. Giannis, LeBron, Luca, LeBron, uh, Harden, AD. Would you put Steph in there? I think I would. I think I'd probably put Steph in there. So we're up to six. Kawhi, seven. Paul George, would you put Paul George in there? Well, Paul George has had some health issues himself, too. Yeah, that's true. I think you could. Let's just throw it in there because then that's eighth. That's eight. Jimmy Butler. I, 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 don't, I think now is, we're getting into yeah. a little bit um, more dicey. But I'll just throw out some more names. Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns. Um, Jokic. Ben Simmons, Jokic, Lillard. Embiid. Um, yeah, Embiid. There, there's there's so much talent in the NBA right now. Um, Joe Ingles, of course. How, how could I forget him? Um, anyway, I don't, <laughs> the point of that little exercise is, is just to say that it's not a given that Kevin Durant comes back and is a top 10 player. That doesn't mean that um, – and I guess we could maybe even throw Kyrie Irving onto that list too. Um, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> yeah. mean that the Nets have – major problems. I mean, Kyrie and Kevin Durant theoretically could fit together very, very well, and they could be a great basketball team. Um, I just, I just don't think it's a hundred percent going to be a seamless thing. Like, like some people maybe seem to think. I I wouldn't call it a hundred percent either, but even if he ends up, if you just name that group, if he's even top 15 amid that group, that's huge. Yeah. And if you have two top 15 players in a league with this much talent, they're, they they you know, that's probably a title contender. Well, maybe not the Kyrie, though. They need glaring They need glaring needs to fill. Yeah. That's what they have. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, can you mailbag us, Andy? Oh, I, I can always uh, mailbag us. 
Um, we're going to shift teams here, but it's still in the Eastern Conference, and we've mentioned them already. This is a wide open question from at Jimmy Z. <laughs> Five one one seven four seven eight nine. Did we get a bot question? How would you fix the 76ers? I don't know that you. I think there's always going to be that imperfect fit between Simmons and his bead, as long as they're both there. I don't necessarily think you need to trade one of them this season. Though it's wildly hard to fix anything substantial because you're not going to get this this huge piece without moving one of those top five guys and you can't move Simmons this year because he's a poison pill contract I don't know who's going to want to bar- buy his Harris's contract right now no. I don't know are you getting a ton of value for Josh Richardson and then you're certainly not moving Embiid I think what they need is a playmaking shooter someone who can fill the hole left by J.J. Redick someone who is closer to at least what Landry Shamit was doing for them and then last season we went to the Clippers they haven't really used them that way so much this year And that's why I've been a little bit miffed by the multiple reports that have them linked to Robert Covington. Yeah, he's fine, but for the equity it would cost to get him, I just, you're probably in a situation where you're choosing then between closing games with Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, and Robert Covington. You'd have to pick two of those three guys. And I just don't know why you would, why you would give up that, that equity for him when, when you so clearly need someone who can, shoot probably better than Covington can shoot in higher volume and then more importantly work off the dribble and defense isn't your problem so maybe you can fit someone like I you know you're not going to be as worried about the way Bogdan Bogdanovich can defend if you can get him from from Sacramento and he's not even the worst defender in league Alec Burks if you want to buy low like that's someone you can look at those are two interesting names the thing about that target is we could probably identify a bunch of teams that need a guy who can dribble and shoot um so those those are always going to be in demand. I think Alec Burks is a guy that they could get and probably a guy that a lot of teams are thinking about right now, a lot of teams that aren't the Warriors. Um, I even think someone like Wayne Ellington, who hasn't, hasn't played that yeah. well this year, is in the next rotation. That's someone that could go a long way for them. Not, not much of a playmaker there, um, but certainly improves their shooting and could be the off-ball stuff that J.J. Redick did for them. Who, who would they move for Bogdan Bogdanovich? Because obviously that would be fantastic. I think the trade is you attach a pick to Zaire Smith and Mike Scott because that's the those are the two real salary filling pieces that you have and it allows you to take back around twelve million in salary um, before you have to worry about hitting the tax slash running into the to the salary matching issues and and Bogdanovich makes substantially seven, right yeah makes substantially less than that uh, maybe you could look at a again he's now out until after the All Star break but Luke Kennard would have been a good fit for them if they were willing to give up yeah. draft equity so. Uh, and again, I mentioned Wayne Ellington. There's Alec Burks would, in theory, come substantially cheaper. Uh, those are just some names that spring to mind. And yes, there'd be guys like Daniel Gallinari, Marcus Morris are good fits for them, but they just can't come up with the salary matching tools to yeah. to strike that kind of a trade. Maybe they could even be a team that takes a flyer on Denzel Valentine. If This is just assuming they don't want to give up like real assets. He, like, that he would be has, someone to look at. Denzel Valentine remains very interesting. To me, um, he he has just fascinated me basically from the moment he was drafted, and he just doesn't play for the Bulls. So that's that's a really interesting one. Langston Galloway too would be another one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Those are good. That's a good, I think, explanation of how to do a short term fix of the 76ers. I think if we were to look at it long term, um, I don't know if I'm in the more minority on this anymore. I think I probably was before the season started, but I might. You know, I, I've i said a few times I don't think they need to break up Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. They certainly don't need to do it right now. But if it came to that in the next few years, I might prefer to build a team around Ben Simmons. Um, if you just surrounded him with shooting and played sort of a five-out game like the Milwaukee Bucks do with Giannis, and, and don't confuse this for me saying that Simmons is as good as Giannis, but there are clearly some similarities between their games. It certainly helps that Giannis is at least willing to shoot jump shots, but I think you could do a lot of the same things with Ben Simmons. He's, he's phenomenal at getting to the rim. There are very few defenses and individual defenders that can stop him from getting to the rim in the half court or in transition. Um, Teams have been more successful at it in the playoffs. And so maybe that's, that's a concern, but if you surrounded him and you really spread the floor with shooting, 
I think you could see an even better version of, of Ben Simmons. And I think there's a potential blueprint there for a better team. Um, Joel Embiid is, is phenomenally talented. Um, but there, like you said, there's always going to be questions of fit with those two. I think it's too early to press the panic button and break it up now. But if I had to pick one long-term, I think I might go Simmons. I, I do think it's a debate. What would give me pause about that is, and I know you weren't saying that he's as good as Giannis. I, I, I think following that model is tough because at least one, Atentacupo, he's more aggressive in general looking for a shot. And he's always been willing, especially now, to take jumpers. And so I don't know if it has the same type of long-term impact. That being said, the argument for me might stand at, you know, Joel Embiid is the more valuable player right now, but I'm just terrified that he's going to be injured. Yeah, it's, that's it's, a big part of it too. He's been relatively healthy the past couple seasons, but even then you're counting on him to miss, what, between 15 and 25 games a year, I think yeah. would be the number. And so that I think that might be the strongest case for, for Simmons over Embiid if they ever feel compelled to make that make that decision. All right, this is from, and my apologies to Jimmy if you're not a bot. Um, <laughs> if you are, if from, it was a bot, that's a pretty good question for a bot. Yeah, yeah. Um, at Cougars 7 what's your favorite team to watch this year? All right, so I'm, I'm going to preface this. Probably for the first half, for the first quarter of the season, it might have been the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, interesting. But it's for me, it's been the... It's probably between the Pelicans, mostly since Favors' return, or definitely the Oklahoma City Thunder. Just the way they swing the ball around in the half court, watching what Shea Gilgis-Alexander could do, watching Dennis Schroeder just shoot a career high from basically everywhere on the floor. They've just been a, a ton of fun to see. And they're even, even in their losses, there was the game, I think it was Tuesday night of this week, where they, they, were, they lost to the Raptors, but they were down by a bajillion and almost came back to one. There's just a certain fight about that group. And Daniel Gallinari being one of my favorite players, dating back to his days with the with the New York Knicks, that, that that's the team that's really just stuck out as one of my favorite league pass watches. And it's it's doubly interesting because I didn't anticipate them even making the top five to ten teams of that. Maybe yeah. because I thought they'd break up or I thought there'd be just like uh, there maybe there I definitely didn't think there'd be this much ball movement. I'll say that much. So uh definitely between them or the Pelicans. They're fun to watch, and I think it's been a really fun and kind of funny story over the course of the season that suddenly Chris Paul is likable after being like one of the biggest <laughs> yeah. villains in the NBA for years. It seems like everybody's kind of on that bandwagon. He had a little hiccup a few <laughs> weeks ago when he tattled on somebody for having their jersey untucked. He got some he got some flack for that. But I think generally speaking, the the general perception of Chris Paul has improved so much this season. And I'm with you. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch that. <laughs> it's unfortunate to me um, on a number of levels that NBA ratings are down this season. I, I hear it from people outside of the Twitterverse a decent amount from like friends and family, why they don't like the NBA. And I get the complaints to me. There are so many fun teams and fun players in the NBA right now. The level of talent is just off the charts. Um, I love watching the Mavericks and Luca, yes, he's a ball dominant player, uh, but they've got these bench gangs that move the ball really well. Everybody moves off the ball well when Luca has it. Um, they're they're fun to watch for me. Uh, he's he's kind of must see TV. I think Miami has been fun to watch this season. They move the ball really well too, and you know I'm a sucker for passing big men. Uh, Bam Adebayo kind of came out of nowhere on that front. He's averaging almost five assists a game. I'm curious to. I might do this after the podcast is over. Go back and look at some of his pre-draft profiles and see if anyone mentioned his passing um, because he's just been phenomenal on that level. So that's another team I would pinpoint. His feet are so quick on defense too. Yeah, he's he's such a well-rounded player um, on both ends of the on both ends of the floor. So he's he's been a lot of fun to watch. The Pelicans are fun too, and I'm kind of. Before the season, I thought, I'm going to watch that team all the time. When they lost Zion, I kind of went away from them for a little bit. But like you said, they've been surging lately. They've been a ton of fun. Brandon Ingram's uh, breakout season has just been a blast. What he did to the Jazz this week was just absurd. And it'll be really fun to watch him and Zion together. So there's there's just tons of good, watchable teams in the NBA this season. If you've got League Pass or even if you just focus on the – 
national TV games, there's almost always a good game on. Um, so lots, lots of ways we could go on that one. I concur with you. <laughs> At Green Micro Gym, should the Blazers re-sign Hassan Whiteside next No, season? moving on. <laughs> um, he's been better than expected. He's been way better than I thought he would be. The only How- consistent rebounder in the front court for them. Yeah, and I actually think he's probably helped them defensively a little bit too. Um, but they've got Zach Collins, and when Yusuf Nurkic is healthy, um, I, I don't know. Maybe if you can get him for like five million bucks a year, but he's—I I don't think that's completely outside the realm of possibility, given what the center market's going to look like this summer. But he's—it's not going to be like a, a great priority for Portland, I don't think. No, and when you have Nurkic under contract, unless you think he's just done and. You know, we'll have more of that. He's supposed to return sometime in February, I believe. They'll have that sample size. But you don't want to – you're looking at – if he's – I mean, if he ends up being just left over and you can sign him for super cheap, then yeah, of course. But I think someone like him would need to be a mini priority because there could be a lot of teams that they don't want to spend money on a big, but they're like, oh, Asan for less than the mid-level? Or can we get Asan Whiteside for the taxpayers mid-level or even yeah. less? That might be something that interests them. So – what do you think his annual salary is on his next contract? I'm going to say sub. I'm assuming he signs for more than if he signs for more than one year, right? Yeah, you know, even if he doesn't, I'm going to say sub full MLE. So that's I think nine point seven, nine point eight this summer. I'm going to say I would agree with that. I'm going to say below that. Taxpayers MLE gets interesting. What is like, that? Just as a threshold, like I believe five? it's five point nine. Okay. <sighs> yeah, probably somewhere in between those two. Um, center market's going to be really interesting. <clears throat> to what are you going to do when the Jazz sign him to back up Gobert? <laughs> uh, celebrate if he's your backup. Heck, no, yeah, could you that. imagine how much he would gripe about playing time if he's backing up Gobert? No, the the Jazz organization gets people in line. You should know this. Uh, <laughs> all right, I I hope we can speak it into existence now, and that and and then that you can uh. You can see how that goes. Taxpayers about five point seven next year. By the way, I don't. I don't think I pinpointed this question, but somebody asked it, who Utah could sign to be a backup center. So you, uh, you anticipated that. I like half jokingly said, "Bring back Trevor Brooker." Um, <laughs> they still the Jordan Clarkson trade helped, but I, I think the bench could still use some work. Uh, maybe maybe it'll help when Mike Conley gets back. The, the and, problem with signing a backup big in Utah is that. Because Rudy Gobert is so good, one of the top two or three centers in the game, you're just your role is so small. Yeah, you have to sign knowing that you're going to play ten to fifteen minutes a game. Right. Yeah. Um, at Noah Broderick twenty, who should be Miami's number one trade target? <sighs> They've got some. I think we, it, it needs to be Drew. About them a decent amount. They've got some movable deals for sure. I think for them, it needs to be Drew Holiday, Kyle Lowry, or Bust. I know the Chris Paul stuff is floated out there, and I would be intrigued to see it. But the, the last year of his deal is just – it's still scary. And knowing how committed the Heat are to free agency in general, looking at that 2021 class, I don't know if you want CP3 on the books. And so I'm just yeah. looking at Lowry and Drew Holiday as their targets. And if you can't get one of them, and I would hazard that you can't right now, that would be my guess. I'm not saying definitively. Uh, then just, you know, you could look at moves on the margins or Robert Covington would help them a ton. Uh, but other than that, you know, I'm, I'm like, eh, I, I, I might stand pat if I'm them. I might stand pat too. Uh, you, you identified the problem with Chris Paul or Kevin Love with them, probably the biggest problem um, on top of just how long and hefty their contracts are is what it does to 2021 free agency. Um Daniil Gallinari is a name that just randomly popped into my head for them. I Again, we've reached a point where I don't know how much of a seller OKC is going to be. Um, they they might have reached a point where they need to be wowed by offers to break up this core because they're going to go to the playoffs. Um, and so I, th- I think they're probably going to want to treat their fans to that if they can and if they don't get some um, crazy offer for their guys that they can't refuse. But... Yeah, I think I think I would probably stand pat too if I'm Miami. They're so much better than expected. Um, they can let a lot of this money that they can trade come off the books naturally anyway. It, maybe if they can get some value for contracts like James Johnson, Deion Waiters, those guys, um, 
they do it, but I don't think they should be in any rush to make like a, a huge trade unless something just presents itself that, that they can't pass up. Right. Like a uh, Gallo is interesting because th- there's probably workarounds where if they got him, depending on what his next contract is, you could still maneuver your books to have a ton of cap space in 2021. So he's a good name. I would actually throw him there. Uh, also, even Dennis Schroeder, just because of how well he's played defensively and Goran Dragic is going to be a free agent next year. If you can turn the waiters or Johnson contract with a small sweetener into him. Uh, and if it was waiters, I yeah. believe you would need more uh, stuff in there. That, that'd be something I'd look at. Here's something that just really came to me. Would you do, let's just say straight up, would you do Justice Winslow for Robert Covington? Probably not. I, I'm not. For which uh, side? Both of them? For Miami. Okay. I think I still have some faith in Justice Winslow, especially when he's playing point guard. Um, yeah, his ball he, handling, that's not yeah, something you're going to get from Rocco. Yeah, he can do a lot more off the dribble and as a playmaker than... Covington can. I think it would certainly raise their short-term ceiling, but I'm I'm still pretty intrigued by Justice Winslow. Okay. But yeah, those uh, would be the names aside from the holiday uh, Kyle Lowry stuff. I really like the Daniel Gallinari one, and then if, if Rocco, if you can, again, if you're willing, let's say Minnesota's willing to take a distant first and uh, something else small while you're yeah. giving up Dion Waiters, that's, uh, or even James Johnson, that's something that I would I would look at as well. At F. Kulikin asks, is there any way that makes sense for both teams that the Celtics can put together a deal for Drummond? Can we not do this? This isn't even an insult to the person who asked the question. I was was, uh, just so ready for your response to this question. Speaking of Drummond, I just want to go back to the previous podcast. Your reaction when I said the Knicks should trade for Andre Drummond as a joke, but I'm one surprised you believe me, and two, you sounded so betrayed. And you're, it was I like that is a clip that I can go back and listen to all the time because your reaction was just priceless. Well, that. it's because it, it really caught me off guard because you treat Andre Drummond like he's a discount Eric Dampier. Oh God, <laughs> he's not that. But again, just the big man market is so just so bizarre right now. Uh, to the Celtics, though, look I, they. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't I don't think he makes any sense for the Celtics, but go ahead. You can't match his salary without giving up at least one of Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, or Marcus Smart. Kemba is a non-starter. I, I'm not a big fan of trading wings for bigs unless you just really are out on the final year of Gordon Hayward's deal, which is $34.2 million. And then your Marcus Smart's just too valuable to what they do. They're also not going to trade. Their two next best salary fillers would be Jason Tatum, at seven point eight million, you're not moving him, and then Jalen Brown's a poison pill, so you're not moving him. Yeah. And your best salary filling pieces uh, are Tice and Cantor. Now, if if they're looking for a big, which I do think they should be, because of just how poorly they played against the Sixers, and I don't even know if they're really built to defend the front courts in Toronto or Milwaukee all that well. You can go for cheaper options like Jakob Pertle. Again, I don't know if the Spurs would be willing to to give him up. Uh, maybe you look at uh, you go with the opposite direction. Where this doesn't really help your defense, but if Davis Bertans, so that you could play five out a bunch more, and then someone that I don't think has been mentioned enough that they could theoretically cobble the money necessary to get would be Cody Zeller in Charlotte. I don't know how they feel about the last uh, year of his deal. I would imagine they're, they're maybe not that interested. They'd probably still want to go the cheaper route, but that is probably someone like him is probably the maximum salary that you could think of. Yeah, he would be good there. Um, I when the Drummond stuff hit a couple weeks ago, or whenever that was, and the Celtics came up as a team that was interested, I had a really hard time believing that. I I think one of the the biggest strengths of Boston is some of the positionless stuff they can do with those those three wings, Tatum, Brown, and Hayward, and Smart. I think he fits into there too, and I think. Trading any of those guys for Drummond compromises that obviously in a in a pretty severe way, and so I right. think I think they should stay away. There's and there I just it's tough to come up with targets that make sense for them because look, let's even say that Miles Turner is available, and, and let's even go ahead to the fast forward to this summer. The thing about gonna, Miles Turner is his contract's only twelve million, which is it's interesting. It, um, which I, I get, push comes to shove if the Pacers all of a sudden just prioritized a, a future return where you could go. Tice and Cantor for I'm just I'm just saying hypothetically and then let's say Langford for Turner 
another piece and then you're giving them just a, a, a few picks. He doesn't help you defend Joel Embiid or Al Horford in the playoffs is the problem. I would still trade for him. Don't get me wrong. But I think that's what they need to worry about addressing. Maybe they want to beef up the the Brad Wanamaker minutes a little bit. But beyond that, just looking at what they can give up, I don't think there's a, there's a ton that that they could do this season. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they're a team that probably, although, you know, Danny Ainge is always looking around and it seems like the Celtics are attached to every trade rumor. I don't think they do anything big. If anything, um, lean into the wing model and just get someone else who can – match up against bigger wings, which I say that like not every team wants that, but if you could get yeah. Rocco or if you bring back Jay Crowder, there you go. If the Grizzlies are willing to give him up, bring back Jay Crowder. Another very tradable deal at five bully ball. Um, and his, in case you were wondering, his bio says he's not affiliated with the real Matisse Thibel. Um, <laughs> and Eli bash NBA, they both asked kind of the same thing. What do, what do we think about Siku Dumbuya? I have been impressed at how overmatched he does not look on yeah. the defensive end and then how he can just move on offense. And yeah. that's from what I've seen of him. Piston fans probably watch him more extensively. I People were mocking this take. I, not one that I made, but I can't remember. It was just on Twitter where sort of like picture the SpongeBob me, meme with say Kumboya is untouchable. Look, if I'm the Pistons and I'm tearing it down, Sekou Dumboy is the only untouchable player on my roster. Maybe yep. Luke Kennard, just because he's injured now and had such a breakout year, but he's the closest thing you have right now to a blue-chip prospect, in large part because he's a major unknown. Yep. Um, yeah, like you, I probably haven't watched as much as him as, as Pistons Twitter and Pistons fans have, but he's now been a part of their rotation for eight games. Um, in 30.4 minutes, he's averaging 14 points, five rebounds, one steal, almost one assist, but he's shooting 54.4% from the field and 41.4% from three. Uh, I heard on, I think it might've been the no dunks podcast recently that he, he is shot. Doctor was the same guy who worked with Pascal Siakam. Um, so that's interesting. I, I would have expected that it would take him longer to look comfortable and at home in the NBA, just like you said, and particularly as a shooter, um, and this, this is coming from someone who did almost no research on him pre-draft. So maybe he was a better shooter, um, than I realized, but he just seemed like sort of the arch type of a guy that would take a couple years to figure it out, mostly because of his age. Um, I think he just turned 19. Yeah. He's been 19 for 25 days. Um, <laughs> generally speaking, it takes teenagers a little bit longer to figure out the NBA game. And there's still a lot for him to figure out, of course. But he's way ahead of schedule. And I'm with you. If there's one untouchable in this Pistons rebuild, it's probably him. Um, I'm, I'm basically right with you because I think Luke Kennard is sort of on the edge of being that. But he's he's become a really interesting story for them. And I'm it makes me kind of happy for the Pistons because for years it just seems like nobody – no other team in the league says mediocre to me like the Pistons do. Um and, and one thing that can sort of shake an organization out of that and give fans some hope is a young, exciting player like this. He's got a bunch of potential as a positionless type of a guy. Um, so he's he's been a great story for the Pistons. I'm totally with you. Uh, can I ask a question or relay one that I answered on Twitter because I didn't realize it was a mailbag question last night. Okay. Uh, but I did find it an in interesting exercise. And also the phrasing was funny. Uh, I'm almost certain this is not his real name, but Haas Bonaventure at Corbor, C-O-R-E-B-O-A-R. Since Andy has me muted, hopefully Dan sees this. <laughs> who's who's a wing the Pels could trade to help them make the uh, trade for to help them make the playoffs? A wing the Pelicans could trade for. Um, here's, so here's what gets hard for me. I'll let you suggest targets first. I don't know what they're willing to give up as buyers because yeah. they can they can build looking at their salary matching potential, some pretty interesting package packages where you go, you have Etwan Moore, he's making 8.7. Uh, you have Darius Miller, who's functionally an expiring contract because he's fully non-guaranteed next year. He's not playing, but 6.9 million as matching fodder. You could combine those two and go after a more expensive player. But what are you willing to attach to one or both of them to get a player that helps you now? And when you're not guaranteed a playoff spot, and when you're also kind of still so early into your post Davis rebuild, no matter how promising it looks, 
I, I just don't know what you give up. And it's complicated by the fact that you know you have to commit max money to Brandon Ingram late uh, this, this summer. And then Lonzo Ball is going to be up for an extension slash he'll be entering restriction free agency the year after. And so if you see down the line that you're going to get mega expensive pretty quickly, giving up any draft assets uh, is a little risky just because those might be your best, best methods for improvement moving forward. So, um, Mike, I'm going to ask you this just real quick. Do you think, let's say the Pelicans stand pat and they stay healthy for the rest of the season. Do they make the playoffs? My gut says no, just because I think Zion's going to need time. Maybe he's dominant right off the bat. I mean, we have to look at what he did in the preseason. My gut still says no, if only because it's not the deficit of the playoffs that bothers me, but when you look at how many teams that they have to leapfrog, specifically both the Blazers and the Spurs, at least one of which is going to be a buyer at the deadline. And then we can assume that's Portland. And then uh, you have San Antonio, where even if they stand pat, the way that they've been playing has to concern you. And then what if the Grizzlies just stand pat? So it's, yeah. it's the teams in front of them. That There's a lot of teams they got to yeah. leave. That's for sure. Um, I, I think Mem- or I think New Orleans is, if they're healthy again, probably the most talented team of that bunch. I I didn't expect this kind of a leap um, from Brandon Ingram. So I, I I ask that and sort of preface my answer to this question by saying I don't think they really need to make a move. Um, I know David Griffin has come out and said that they might be buyers, uh, that they'll, it's more likely that they'll be buyers than sellers. And I get that. Um, but I could easily see them just saying, okay, we're finally healthy. Let's see what we can do with this group. Um, and just sort of maintain flexibility going forward. There are some like lower fringe targets as we often call them. Jay Crowder might be interesting as a guy who can just defend multiple positions for you. Um, we mentioned Alec Burks a lot. I as I was scrolling, I've, so I've got a list of guys who I think could be on the trade market this summer, and I was scrolling through there. Um, Andre Iguodala might be kind of interesting for them, although I don't think you want to bring in a wing whose shooting is questionable. I, I think if you're going to go after somebody in on the trade market this season, you want somebody who will raise your ceiling, your team ceiling as as a shooting team. Um, uh, Iguodala doesn't do that, but there there are certainly some options out there. For them, but I think I might be more interested in just seeing what this team can do when it finally gets everybody healthy. Right. I mean, Zion Williamson as your midseason acquisition is a pretty big deal. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so to comment on a couple of things you said, I agree with your Gadala point. Let's also remember he's going to be 36, hasn't played since June yeah. either. And someone said this to me on Twitter last night, which was when I was having this Pelicans conversation, which was actually a little bit confusing to me. Uh, they were like, well, the price on Iguodala could could go down, and maybe it's just a matter of matching his salary plus seconds. And I said, okay, but are we sure that if he wants to play in New, New Orleans as opposed to a bona fide contender? Yeah. And he said, he doesn't strike me as a player who would sit out because oh, yeah, he's not yeah, on yeah. a winner. And that's exactly what he's doing now, as good yeah. as the Grizzlies have been. So uh, I like the – someone like Marcus Morris or Rocco would be great fits. I think they ultimately are too expensive looking at what you need to attach yeah, to your salary filler. Crowder's the big one because if you went Darius Miller and two seconds, if let's say the Grizzlies fall off for Jay Crowder, that's a price I'd pay. Something else that might be interesting is what if uh, Detroit is just willing to do Tony Snell for Darius Miller and Etwan Moore, and then you include something else if you're Detroit because they're so uh, close to the tax. Maybe they you know just want to get off the last year's Snell's deal. Etwan Moore has been good for them. Um, that's true too. So that's another thing. It's like they're they're them and Memphis are in kind of a weird position right now, uh, where they could be buyers and make the team better, but it, they they just have a really nice mix on both of those rosters right now. And I say that knowing full well that both of these teams are below five hundred, um, but I don't think I don't think anyone in the those organizations or anyone outside those organizations would convince themselves that they're title contenders, but. Um, I just I just like the way both of those rosters fit right now, and I I'm not sure I'd want to break it up. Right, and if you can get again Jay Crowder without giving up Etwan Moore using the Miller salary, actually I didn't realize this works straight up. You could technically do Miller for Tony Snell, and it works. And then maybe Detroit says, "Oh well, that gets us out of the twelve point yeah. two million dollar player option he has next year." And then if you're the Pelicans and you want to keep David 
uh, David, Derek favors anyway, and you're going to have Brandon Ingram's cap hold. You're not going to have a ton of cap space to begin with. So perhaps that doesn't bother you. That's something they could look at, which is actually that helps the Pistons out a ton because they're saving so much money. Uh, that'd be something I'd look at. I did not realize for some reason I thought Tony Snell was making 12 this year, but you could send out Miller's salary and just get back Snell. That'd be a move I'd look at if that I were New Orleans and Detroit. Yeah, for sure. Um, Jonathan Diesta at Diesta Jonathan. Um, to what extent is plus minus a reliable metric in determining the value a player brings to his team? I assume he means just basic raw plus minus um, on this one. Is it weird that I find it most? Maybe this will make Seth part now of the athletic cringe. He probably he definitely doesn't listen to us, but uh, I, I find it most useful in like a small consistent sample, which I'm basically saying is the playoffs. Like when you look last year and see that uh, Philly was outscored by a zillion points in the hundred minutes that Joel B <laughs> didn't play in the Raptors series. Like yeah. That's where it's valuable to me. And I think that it can be, for sure. it can yeah. be an interesting barometer for single games. And I think one of them to look at is like, so the Kyrie Irving's game the other night against the Sixers, I think he was a minus 21 or minus 29 in a game that, they lost by 11 and where nobody else was, I think on the nets worse than like a minus 10 or, or something like that. I have to double check it, but that would be an instance where, where I would find it valuable. I agree with both of those takes. Um, it, It requires context, which is exactly what you just said. The, the Greg Popovich quote on single game plus minus is pretty famous at this point. Um, but I do think there's some, I think there's some value in single game plus minus, particularly if you've if you just watched the game and it, it jives with what you saw. It can be a little bit dangerous to just scan box scores, hundred um, percent. Say and say so and so was minus whatever this game, and and so that means he played poorly. Um, but if if there's the necessary context, like it's within a certain a series against one opponent, or you know you look at everybody else's box or uh, not box plus minus. You look at everyone else's raw plus minus alongside that guy. You've seen the game. I think there's I think there's information to be gleaned from it for sure. It, it also, you know, an obvious thing is who did he play with in that game? Who was he sharing the floor with? Um, did did a team hit two free throws the moment he stepped onto the court? Um, there, there's a lot of different things to take into account with plus minus. How much of it came in garbage time? Um, there's there's just so much context that goes into it, but I don't think it's it's certainly not worthless as a lot of people have suggested. Um, all right. This is from at Ray of the Mundo. Um, he asks, is there a stat for leading corner three assist guys? Where's Luca on the list? And believe it or not, I looked that up. Wow. I tweeted Um, this yesterday. It's funny that we had this. I tweeted who the leaders were yesterday. That's actually hysterical that we got that question. I actually, so I, I stumbled upon it researching an article too. So um, the fate has aligned here to give us a question on this. Um, I don't know where you found it, but I went to pvpstats.com. Um, then you go to totals, player, um, get the stats, and then you go to table data, switch it to assists. Um, PVP stats is amazing. It's not the easiest site to navigate and so it takes it takes some playing around with it and getting used to it uh but anyway luca is number one in corner three assists he's got 59 lebron's at 57 uh you just tweeted this out so i'm not going to ask you but number three was derrick rose that was exactly what i tweeted out i said i did not foresee derrick rose being third in corner three assists this season yeah um westbrook's fourth and then it's kind of interesting that drew holiday is fifth because he's missed um a, a fair number of games at this point, although he's played the same number as, as Westbrook. But uh, those are your top five, and that's how you get there. PBS. Joe Ingles in the top ten, baby. Ooh, I should have scrolled down a little bit lower. The GOAT, Joe Ingles. Do you know who surprised me on this list was in the top 20? Who? Tyus Jones. He, so he's been popping up in research for me a decent amount lately. I don't know if you saw the other day that, um, and, and these two things are related, the fact that he's got a lot of corner three assists. He also had the highest effective field goal percentage on his 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 assist opportunities. Um, Ooh. So I found that interesting. Yeah, I, I, I went through, um, I think I had to combine data from PBP stats and NBA.com slash stats to figure that out. 
but he was number one. Jokic was number two in effective field goal percentage off of um, potential assists. And they were really high numbers. Like Tyus Jones's number was over 70. Jokic's was over 70. Um, I thought that was an interesting thing. Uh, and for people like me who have tracked this, Devontae Graham is now second in the league behind only LeBron in total assists thrown at the rim. Hmm. Interesting. Devontae Graham, the the breakout season, he kind of cooled off for a little bit, but I feel like he's charging back up. Pag Dolores, at Pag Dolores. <clears throat> Whatever happened to Andrew Wiggins? <laughs> I was once a resident of his island and was reluctant to return despite his hot streak. Any prospects? I have was out. I was reluctant to say <laughs> that I was going to be back in on Andrew Wiggins. I've been out on him for quite some time. I, I remain out on him. Uh, if you just look at his splits this year, his, his shooting splits um, by month. So we go in October, his true shooting percentage was uh, 49.7, but that, that was you know only four games. November, 11 games, uh, 56.6. December, 51.7. January so far, 45.6 true Yikes. shooting. Um, as you may recall, I gave the world's most lukewarm um, endorsement of a breakout for Andrew Wiggins this season. I was feeling a little frisky about it in the first few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but my goodness, um, he he has done quite an about face in the last couple months, as you just outlined. And he's he's heading right back to where he's been Um for most of the rest of his season. I guess his numbers are still slightly better than they've been in previous years, but it's getting it's getting harder and harder to believe. And maybe that's what the Teague trade is about on some level, where it puts the ball in Wiggins' hands more and then also opens up more Culver at the one or Culver as your primary playmaker lineups. Perhaps that's what they're thinking because Andrew Wiggins is clearly best suited when he's on the ball. Yeah, for sure. Um, be interesting to see what happens with Andrew Wiggins. All right, this 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 will be our grand finale. You're gonna love this. This is from at Angus Livingston. Real nerd stuff, but how would an all Australian nine man NBA team stack up against the average NBA lineup? I'm not even sure I can name nine Australian players, but so you I, have Patty Mills, you have Ben Simmons, you have Joe Ingles have to be in there. That's a great one through three right there. Aaron Baines is four. So, okay, keep going. Uh, I'm trying to think of a fifth. I mean, do you put Dante Exum in there? Oh, you have to. So that's five. Uh, I feel like I'm sort of – I'm sure I'm forgetting someone obvious, but I don't know who who else do you have in that, in that nine-man. This, this team is winning games in the East. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to expand it to Oceania. What kind Oceania. of a compliment is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to expand it to Oceania and include New Zealand because that's where Aaron Baines and Stephen Adams were born. Oh, I um, forgot Aaron Baines was. But I think he's he's you know he plays for the Australian national team, so he must be a, have some citizenship there. I, he maybe he moved over there shortly after he was born in New Zealand. I'm not going to claim Kyrie Irving, even though he was born in Australia. He would just um, ruin that team from within, apparently. Anyway. <laughs> So we're looking at Ben Simmons, Joe Ingles, Patty Mills, Jonah Bolden, Ryan Brokoff, Dante Exum, Matthew Delavadova, Stephen Adams, and Aaron Baines. Um, lots of size, not a ton of shooting, but that team's going to the playoffs in the East. That's what I'm saying right now. Maybe. I don't know. There's not a lot of shooting on that team, as you just said. Well, Joe Ingles will shoot 60%. Um, oh, <laughs> All right. Make up for all of it. Yeah, yeah, because we've seen he's fared so well this season when he doesn't play with a bunch of other shot, uh, jump shot creators. That's that's, that's well, not why that, the Jazz had to move him off the bench or anything like that. Ben Simmons, Patty Mills, he, he's he's going to fit in just fine there. If you're uh, in the East, I would say that's a fringe playoff team. Yes. If that's your rotation, everybody stays healthy. I'm, I'm going to say playoff lock, uh, but there's no way for us to figure this out. Um <laughs> With that, we have wrapped up another mailbag edition of the podcast. As always, we apologize if we didn't get to your question, but like Dan said at the top of the show, we're going to do a little bit of experimentation over the next couple of weeks and try to try to do basically a daily mailbag. Um, we'll still have these regular pods, uh, but we're going to supplement it with the, the shorter mailbag po um, podcast where we can hit more of your questions, have more interaction with you guys. I think it'll be fun. Um, 
If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find Dan at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The podcast network is at Blue Wire Pods. Go to NBA underscore math on Twitter. Um, we've got T-shirts. I, I, I'm plugging left and right here, but if you go to bluewirepods.com and go to the store, you can find the shout-out T-shirt. Um, as always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And until next time, we'll leave you with the shout-out to Kyle Anderson and Bano Udry.